0: Reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 11. Then God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourselves an idol, wherein the form of anything that is in heaven above all that is on the earth beneath, all that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me And keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Nigel, for your welcome. It's been a real joy and privilege to meet with some of you before the service and to just spend some time getting to know you. And thank you for the invitation to preach here. I was wondering why I might have been invited to preach in such a place. And then about 3.30 on Friday uh, in the early morning, as I sweltered in the heat wave, I realized that God does know what he's doing because you're probably sleep deprived and you may appreciate some time to have a little nap. (laughs) But seriously, because of your inclusivity, you shine like stars. I know just as you do how hard it is after lockdown. I know the stresses and the strains involved, but you at Bloomsbury mean so much to so many of us throughout the wider Baptist family because you are a beacon of hope and a beacon of light. And just by being here, you are a huge blessing to us. Now, I can't um, do the stuff that Simon can do, but I hope that this morning, I will be able to encourage you and that you will feel that God's word has been unpacked. It's good to remember the context in which the Ten Commandments were given. I was relieved to hear when the reading was announced that I have actually prepared for the correct lectionary reading. But when I was uh, given the reading, I have to say, it would have been my first choice of passage To preach on, but the context makes sense of it all. The children of God have been enslaved in Egypt, and for so many of us today, their experience will have some similarity to ours. There will be moments in our lives when we will have. Felt restricted and trapped and unable to be our true selves. And what God did was to bring out of Egypt not just the genetic descendants of Abraham. For the Hebrew tells us, it puts it somewhat indelicately, that they were a mixed rabble. Now I don't know about you but I enjoy nothing more in life more than a mixed rabble. In fact I seem to have spent most of my life in ministry attracting mixed rabbles. If anyone from Burton Latimer is watching I love you dearly. And this is what God does. He gathers together all the waifs and the strays. He doesn't just gather together people who agree necessarily or who have the same backgrounds. And it's important to note that Israel was ethnically diverse as they gathered together for that first flight from Egypt. And now in the Sinai Peninsula, they are to experience as they are gathered around the foot of the mountain, God's intense holiness and his presence, as Moses receives the Ten Commandments at the mountain top, This is the moment when, having experienced God's holiness, they will receive the commandments that enable them to collectively embody God's holiness, for they have been called out of slavery in Egypt with a distinctive mission to embody God's nature in the way they live out social justice in their community life together. Does that sound familiar? It's a bit like being church. As the commandments are given, the promised lands are in the hands of people with no regard for human rights who are determined to expel anyone attempting to enter it. Obviously, it's very hard for us to imagine what that must be like. By way of contrast, the mission of the people of God is to create a just society in place of the existing brutal one, and it is to that end that the Ten Commandments, of which we will be looking at three, are given. And the first thing to notice is that the commandments are given to the Israelites. Those people God has already set free from slavery. They were in slavery, but now they will have freedom. So the commandments were given so that as they began to reside in the land of promise as a sovereign state, they would know how to use their freedom wisely and build a fair and humane society that welcomes the stranger. It obviously follows from this that the freedom of any sovereign state is not an excuse to practice inhumanity. So firstly, let's look at the first commandment and focus on God himself, the giver of freedom. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. The first commandment could be paraphrased and forgive me, but I am incorrigible. Don't elevate stuff to sacredness. Don't elevate stuff to sacredness. God's glory and burning holiness cannot be contained in material things. Don't worry, Dawn, it's okay. I've been there so many times. Many other religions use material objects, statues, for example, not viewing them only as representations of God, but investing them with life and divinity. In Judaism, there is a clear dividing line between the creator and created things. Now, of course, it's easy for us to obey the commandment not to worship carved images, but the principle embodied here is more subtle and wide-reaching than we might think. We are all tempted to worship created things, not by bowing down before idols, but by the value we ascribe to them or the absolute priority we place on the work that helps us to possess them. Whilst we may not physically bow down and worship our possessions, the house we own, the car we have bought, in my case, Lord have mercy, the musical instruments that I play, but when we put material things above God, or even above the people who are made in his image, then we are in danger of worshipping them. And there are moments in life when theory suddenly becomes very real. I am deeply privileged to have an autistic son who is as caring, loving and gentle as anyone I know. I would not hesitate to say Christ-like. But... He does combine this with the coordination of a dyspraxic gorilla. One day when Alistair was younger, I foolishly left a very rare vintage trombone on its stand unattended, so that he unwittingly walked into it. To say that when I went into the room, its shape was almost unrecognisable and I was devastated would be a masterly understatement. In an instant, I had to make a very simple choice. What mattered most? My beautiful, emotionally fragile autistic son, so prone to high anxiety levels, or my vintage trombone. There was no contest. I had to acknowledge that it was my fault and then I had to reassure Ali that it was okay. And that day, I hope he learned a little bit about how much he is loved and valued. Yeah, even more important than Dad's trombones. When we put material things above people who are made in the image of God, we engage in a subtle but devastatingly destructive form of idolatry you shall have no gods before me, requires us both to worship gods and no other, but also to prioritise the people who are made in the image of God and serving them above the possessions we own or acquire. There is yet, though, another subtle and dangerous way in which we can worship other gods, and that is by recreating God in our image It's so easy to recognize the image of God in people who are like us while denying his image in people who are different. Obvious historical examples are the refusal of slave traders to recognize people of different ethnicity as being made in God's image and therefore worthy of full human dignity and rights or the refusal to recognize the humanity of asylum seekers today. In some churches, we find portraits of Jesus as a blue-eyed, blonde European that cause me pain every time I see them because they reinforce our own unconscious bias. We fail to recognise that Jesus was, in fact, olive-skinned. But so often, these portraits have taken on a sacred quality and we dare not remove them. In these awful pictures, we've elevated stuff to sacredness, and recreated and worshiped a false god, remade in our own image. Second commandment may be paraphrased as proclaiming God's name positively. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. At the most basic level, the name of God is not to be used as a curse or a swear word. But there is something deeper here. There is a call to carefulness about how we evoke God's name and in what causes. We are all familiar with the saying, better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. But it seems to me that is how some conservative forms of Christianity operate in practice, particularly in the present debate about sexuality. Over the years, God's name has been used to justify slavery, more recently to endorse holy war. We see today in Russia how God's name can be invoked to bless aggression, including the invasion of sovereign territory, mass killings, and wanton destruction. So firstly, at the most basic level, we are to avoid misusing God's name. But we might take a moment to consider how we can appropriately use God's name in a positive way. My lovely church in Burson, Latimer. who I miss dearly um, on sabbatical. It's a privilege to have a sabbatical, but to be parted from them is uh, difficult. And they have allowed me to continue uh, with music. Although I'm a minister, therefore I'm very much involved with secular life. I have lots of relationships with unchurched people in the region we live in and beyond. Because when I go to a rehearsal, some kind soul will almost invariably drive me. Now this may be because having been driven by me, driving me is much the less frightening alternative. But God uses our weaknesses as well as our strengths. And when someone's driving, they feel in control. And it's easier for them to talk. And I find myself having all kinds of conversations about God, about how we live out our faith in life as people drive me to rehearsals. And because they're in control, they feel safe. It's so important that as Christians, we put ourselves out there in situations where we are not in control and where, therefore, we can use God's name positively. A friend of mine recently said, when I'm with you, I can talk about the big questions of life without feeling threatened or got at. And all that happens because I'm such a terrible driver. (laughs) So God uses our weaknesses, and it's in our weakness that so often we can share our worldview, and our faith and our values with other people. So in order to use God's name for good, we have to have a life outside of church. And to use God's name for good, we have to be engaging positively with the secular world. Rowan Williams used to say, when I meet someone, I ask myself, what is God already doing in their lives? And how can I support them with that? It's a wonderful way to share Jesus with other people, to see what God is already doing in their lives, to name and affirm the good that there is. There is so much in God's good creation that we can affirm, so much in secular life that points to God's goodness, mercy, and grace. In my case, much of that is found in the performing arts where human creativity mirrors our creative God's goodness and beauty, but in environmentalism, social justice, in any humanitarian endeavor, we see the image of God in humanity, and we can identify and affirm it, and speak in positive, bridge-building ways, enabling people to hear us without feeling threatened, judged, or condemned. So using God's name positively opens the way for life-changing dialogue. How we use God's name is so important. Not blaspheming is a good starting point. Not using it alongside other profanities is also helpful. But it is so much better if God is so much a part of our worldview that he pops up naturally in an unforced way when we talk about life and the values of the gospel so that others can understand what they are. The third commandment I have summarized as prioritizing sacred space to rest, reflect, and be renewed. And here I am speaking to myself. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. This is not about strict Sabbatarianism. I think, in our context, in our world. But one way we elevate stuff to sacredness is by making things and overvaluing them. But more subtly, forgive me, by prioritising the process of wealth creation over inhabiting sacred space and practising Sabbath rest. So many people I have known have come to the end of all-consuming careers, only to ask, in view of the cost to relationships, family and community, what was it all for? The endless round of competitive corporate game playing reminds me of a story told by the Desert Fathers that perfectly illustrate the antics of a church I once served, which was full of people who instinctively jockeyed for position, power, and prestige, and who were more than happy to do each other down in the process. What a joyful ten years that was. (laughs) Abbot Arsenius, a late fourth-century desert father, had a dream in his cell in which he heard a voice saying, Come, and I will show you the works of men. He saw two men on horseback carrying a beam between them one besides the other they were trying to enter the door of a temple but the beam would not fit through the doorway crosswise and neither man would draw back to let the other go first so that the beam could go in lengthwise the dream concluded with a voice saying let everyone be watchful Lest his actions and labour be in vain. Sometimes we need to step out of the highly competitive and combative way of living that our society requires of us. If we are to be countercultural, if we are to experience God's holy and life giving presence, sometimes we need to slow down as my deacons are always telling me. The church I now serve was, up until lockdown, locked into an endless cycle of constant activity. It was operating on a model where discipleship is demonstrated by time spent in church so that people couldn't form relationships in the community. My church family are so deeply lovely, and they allow me to have a a secular music life. And because of that, God brought a number of people into the life of the church with highly developed musical gifts that are a very real blessing. But it's only since lockdown that our congregational growth has speeded up as the church programme has been reimagined and slimmed down with fewer but more productive community-building Activities. More Sabbath rest and less strategically unproductive activity has meant more people sensing the presence of God among us and joining our congregation. It's a very strange time to go on sabbatical as it feels that everything is beginning to take off again, though it's not been easy. In the interim period. So, Sabbath is not just about doing outwardly religious stuff. Worship, yes, is a part of Sabbath, but it's also about resting, having space and time in busy lives to slow down, to listen to the birdsong, to breathe deeply, to enjoy God's good creation to read scripture meditatively, listening to the disturbances within ourselves and then offering it all up to God. I've personally found it adopting a Benedictine rule of life, spiritually life-changing and life-giving beyond my wildest dreams. There is only one commodity in life that is irreplaceable and that is time. And therefore, the whole idea of Sabbath is of resting from productivity so that we might live more fully in the presence of God. The fascinating thing about Sabbath for me is that it is profligate. It is profligate. It is completely economically insane tithing in the Old Testament, as you will know, worked on the principle of 10% of income, going to maintain society's religious and social justice functions. Now in our society, social justice has become the function of the secular state in theory. So how we work out our financial giving is more complex than an unreflective literal adherence to the biblical text. But Sabbath is more than 10%. It's 14.29% of a lifetime. So Sabbath is prioritised over financial giving. The giving of ourselves to God is a bit like a marriage. If I never spent quality time with Sarah and never just paid money into our joint account, I think she might be somewhat hurt. I trust not relieved. It would be a terrible deal as well, because she gets paid a lot more than I do. But that wouldn't be a sharing of our lives. It would be nothing more than a financial arrangement. In the same way, we could be financially faithful to God, but if we don't create and carve out time to simply be, to have the space, to reflect, to breathe deeply in the divine presence, our relationship with God will be shallow and superficial. The only genuinely finite commodity we have is time. So we need to be prioritizing time to rest in God's presence. And in addition to the human Sabbath, the land was also given a Sabbath. The whole rhythm of life both sacred and economic, had built-in rest periods when the land was meant to be fallow and trading mechanisms were meant to be inactive. I used to uh, work for Coopers and Lybrand, as they were then known, so I am aware how insane this sounds in terms of economic theory. But think about it. Back in the 1980s, maximising productivity became an unquestionable mantra. Production lines became unceasingly active 24-7, seven days a week. The flow of goods to the marketplace increased so that supply could meet what was believed to be insatiable demand. But inevitably, demand is always limited, and once the marketplace was flooded with more goods than anyone could possibly want to buy, the boom turned to bust. Sabbath is not only good ecologically, as fallow land is given time to recover. But it's good economically, as well as being good for our health and our mental well-being as well. In conclusion, in reinterpreting the first three commandments for today, I've chosen to summarize them in this way. Don't elevate stuff to sacredness. Honor the image of God in other people. Proclaim God's name positively as we honor what God is already doing in the lives of other people. And prioritize sacred space to rest, reflect, and be renewed so that we will have something of God to share with others. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your call on our lives to build a just society which honors the image of God in all his children. We pray for our government, For we believe that nothing is impossible with you. We pray for all those in authority. And we pray for ourselves. That we may honour the values you have given us. That we may be salt and light. And that we may have the life of God within ourselves to share with others in positive and affirming ways.
2: Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In these days of global worries and disorientation of wars and lies with far reaching and unforeseen consequences of oppression and denial of justice. We pray that verses such as these would help orientate us to your perspective on our world. And so we pray for our world, for nations, for her peoples, for governments, leaders, those who hold authority. We pray for the values of the governance of Jesus to be cherished and aimed for. We pray that you would move in the hearts of those in authority to orientate our leaders, our systems of government, our authorities, to truth, to integrity, to service, to peace, to all that makes for the common good. You are the truth, and truth sets individuals free, and truth sets nations free. Let your kingdom come. Lord, we bring before you the needs of our country, where many are struggling with the cost of food and basics, where we need food banks, where COVID numbers are rising again, where millions are having health treatment delayed or denied, where ambulances cannot move freely, where people groups feel disenfranchised or invisible, where our nation is conflicted as to how to respond to the refugee the stranger, the other. We pray for wisdom for our leaders as they seek to serve the nation. We pray for the values of Jesus to infuse their thinking, deliberations, and decisions. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come. And we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, prompt us to know how we here at Bloomsbury can play our part in being an expression of your kingdom here. Finally, Lord, we pray for ourselves. We are comforted by the thought that you know our frames. You know that we are dust and fragile dust at that yet you love us and long for relationship with us. We ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal more of Christ to us and in us and through us. Your word tells us to not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we bring our requests to you and ask that your peace will guard our hearts and keep our minds where they belong, where they find sanctuary, where they find home in our Lord Jesus Christ Amen
1: And now may the grace the understanding the patience and the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ the everlasting love and unfailing kindness of God and the ever present felt fellowship and indwelling of the Holy Spirit with each one of us, now and forever. Amen.